fandom friends. You're listening to Tag T for Swears, a semi-academic podcast about fandom, fan culture, fanfic, and friendship. I'm Hannah Davey. And I'm Becca. And our topic today is going to be, uh, we're, we're going to try to stick a little bit to this topic, but we might divert. Um, we're talking <laughs> we might take some turns. You are going to take some turns here, but uh, you will follow us on all these twists and turns. We're talking about breaking up with a fandom or just losing interest in a, a very hard way. Because in my experience of enjoying things <laughs> in my life, uh, I get very, very obsessed. And at this point, you know, I'm close to 30 and uh, my patterns are not going to change immensely. And I've kind of just accepted that when I get excited about something, I'm going to be really excited about it for a certain amount of time. And I let myself have that space. During these quarantine times, I've been glad to have a thing to be obsessed with. Um, it can be really uh, just like a nice experience. But uh, there is kind of always that point where I have consumed so much of the thing and so much of the fan content around the thing. And I sort of sit back and I think I'm good. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this topic in general, but the feeling of getting to that point is a little bit bittersweet as well. Mm -hmm. I have a similar experience where when I enjoy something, I really, really enjoy it and just kind of mm -hmm. go all in yes. for a while, which, yeah, sometimes peters out. Usually it's replaced by something else, where as my interest in one thing is sort of starting to wane, something new will come just at the right time. And then I'll get like very, very obsessed with that new thing. And so my interest in the old thing kind of peters out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm at the point right now where I think my last you know, major, like long running obsession was good omens. Um, mm -hmm. And that sort of died out over time where, you know, I still love it, but I'm not quite, you know, like to the same extent that I was this time last year, say, yeah. but it hasn't quite been replaced by anything yet, which is a weird feeling because I feel like usually there's always something. And so I've been a little bit adrift lately, which is yeah. a weird feeling. And a little bit bittersweet just remembering how super obsessed I was with particular fandoms, um, especially ones like Harry Potter or like Marvel, where it's also a little bit different now. Whereas with Good Omens, I look back on it and I'm like, oh, that was a, that was a nice time. I really enjoyed it. And I don't necessarily have any negative memories associated with it. It's just, yeah. You know, all right. Like it was great, but it's time to move on to something else. Whereas with Harry Potter and with Marvel, I feel like, well, it got to the point where it was time to move on to something else, but there was also so, and is still, because both of these are still going, a lot more complexity with them, I guess, where like my feeling towards them are much more complicated now than they used to be. Yeah, definitely. I wish you had replaced Good Omen's obsession with Magnus Archive's obsession, but that's okay. I appreciate you're indulging me anyway, because that's kind of what my experience was. I can definitely clock where I'm going uh, in a fandom, like if I'm descending into a rabbit hole of obsession, just because I start getting on AO3, like nightly, mm -hmm. that's just becomes my routine. And it eases off when I'm kind of slipping out of a fandom. I'm like, oh, I can do something else instead of read fan fiction to go to sleep. Yeah. But yeah, I would definitely agree with you about the feeling of sliding out of a fandom because like the original content is not a nice experience to read or watch or partake in. Um, those two fandoms for me too are also ones that have just lost me, uh, lost me hard. Yeah. It's interesting because for Marvel, at least there's people that I'm friends with who are, again, not fans in the like fandom sense yeah. like they don't participate in a lot of fandom discussion or anything like that they're just very excited about the original content and they're still like will watch all of the movies and have I suppose some critiques but I, I honestly just can't enjoy them anymore which is so unfortunate and I don't really seek any of that out I guess if someone was like, "Hey, do you want to rewatch uh, like uh, the Avengers movie?" I do. You want, I would say maybe. I guess, but I'm just not interested in any new stories that they have to tell. And 
for some extent, I know why Marvel lost me. It's the same reason I can not read superhero comics is because it just got too bloated with storylines. And um, me caring about characters is mostly based on how much they're allowed to have interactions. And when there's too many characters, they're not all going to talk to each other. And therefore you get some screen time that's like down to a minute. And I'm like, I, I, you, (laughs) you shafted me here. Mm -hmm. But with Harry Potter, it's felt different because while there's still some new stuff coming out every now and then, it mostly feels like a money grab. And it's mostly just a lens on the old series based on the views that J.K. Rowling has started expressing more and more that are extremely transphobic and um, Islamophobic. And it's, it's uncomfortable, mostly also because some people are like, we've been saying this for a while, that she needed some sensitivity reads at a time when sensitivity readers, I don't believe were very well known. Uh, the nineties is not really eighties and nineties, I guess is not really a time when people were concerned about whether their books portrayed certain groups in a particular light, you know, and that's becoming more prevalent now, which I think is awesome. And yeah, definitely. that's been nice to see. But when you look back on older content, then it's through that new lens. I I would hope it's through a, a new lens of someone who's can think critically about media now. And it's like, oh shit, this perspective is coming through. And while it didn't necessarily color my view, it maybe has changed views for other people who are less exposed to certain groups. I feel like I'm talking really vaguely about this. I don't know. <laughs> a little a little vague posty, but no, it's okay. I mean, I I feel like just so much to talk about here it's hard to talk about it without being a little bit vague yeah I do agree with Harry Potter in particular where with all that's happened in the past five ten however many years where it's just sort of been steadily going downhill Mm -hmm. as you mentioned you know it's not that all of these issues didn't exist necessarily you know as all kinds of folks will point out sort of the you know racism or anti-semitism or homophobia sort of inherent in the original books and I guess yeah it's hard to go back and read them now and not notice all of that (laughs) Um, because you know there's a lot of stuff that I didn't pick up on as a kid that I think many of us didn't really pick up on as children because we're children and that we didn't know Mm -hmm. and so yeah like when I've gone back through like I try to remember all of the good stuff because I think you know to say that it's all a wash and that you can't enjoy Harry Potter anymore I don't necessarily agree with because I think there was so much good that came of it and so I don't think it's necessarily fair either to just say well there's nothing worth reading in Harry Potter because they are good series and there was a lot that came out of it mm-hmm. but for me personally it is more difficult (laughs) and much more bittersweet I guess yeah I mean I think it was a lot of kids first exposure to reading for pleasure oh definitely yeah I mean it changed the nature of children's publishing yeah because prior to that everyone would say you know you can't get a kid to read a book longer than 100 pages Mm -hmm. and so Harry Potter paved the way for all sorts of series that came after it you know you had Twilight you had the Percy Jackson series you have I think most of the huge series were able to succeed the way that they did because Harry Potter kind of paved that way. Yeah. It changed also like a lot of book binding techniques. I remember because my, uh, my copy of the fourth Harry Potter, like the entire middle piece fell out because the binding was oh, so yeah. shit and they uh-huh. improved bindings on hardback books for future printing. So authors can publish longer books now because Harry Potter kind of was like, you got to get a book this big. Like, we need to That's improve so the techniques. I didn't know that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like Stephen King probably helped with that too. He's written some books that were just like too long and publishers will <laughs> ask you to cut down on page count if it's a, over a certain length. But now you, that length has extended thanks to Harry Potter and the popularity of really big books. <laughs> uh, I mean, Harry Potter, I suppose, was my first introduction to fandom as a community. I only went to one of the midnight book releases, but it was the seventh book and I stood outside of Powell's books till 
probably like two in the morning and got my book. And it was a really just like celebratory communal space where people were dressed up and there was people on stilts and folks would drive by. They'd gone to like the Walgreens down the street, which was selling them and uh, had gotten the books and they would run and or drive by and just yell out the windows, fake spoilers, which was shitty. <laughs> But oh, they were no. like, Ginny dies and like all this stuff. And we were like, what? And we decided not to believe that. And I, God, I was, I was somewhere in high school, sophomore, junior year, maybe. I don't remember. I think the last book came out when I was in ninth grade. Oh, man. That young. Yeah, um, I suppose freshman year. Which I remember only because I went to the midnight release with a friend of mine, but she, I believe, had moved before my sophomore year. Oh, okay. That's the only way I remember. Okay. Good, good placing at a time. Yeah. I guess it was like immediately after freshman year. Um, yeah. It would have been the end, the yes. summer in between. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And I, I just remember being in that space and feeling very excited that so many people were excited. And I still see that around. People have tattoos from Harry Potter a lot. Everyone's got the Deathly Hallows, you know that kind of standard thing. And I, I know some people are doing cover-ups at this point of those tattoos, but for a time there, it was just like a really fun thing to be a part of. And it was kind of, I wouldn't say like a cool thing to be a part of, but it was <laughs> definitely a fairly normal fandom to be in. Like you would talk with people and you still think about people in terms of like Hogwarts houses and stuff. I remember when Pottermore came out and I was already kind of out of it at that point, but people were still really excited to take the quiz and see where they were and join all this discussion and hear some extra stories about characters like McGonagall's like torrid love affairs and all these kind of things. It was really fun. <laughs> oh yeah. I remember being really excited when Pottermore came out. I think that was at the point where my interest was starting to fade and it sort of rejuvenated it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, of course, like, you know, there continued to be more and more and more content. And at the time, I was in undergrad, and so I started to have less time to consume that content as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think the combination of those things, you know, I started just not being as involved. And then, like, because I didn't know all of the stuff that was on Pottermore, that that's what people were discussing. And so I didn't feel like I could participate in those conversations. And so that was sort of where it kind of started going downhill. But I was. I do remember being super excited to get that code and be able to log into Pottermore and yeah, no, it was a huge thing. Yeah. It's a little bit tricky too, because I do have some friends who are still big into Harry Potter, or I think folks will also talk to me because they know that I was a huge Harry Potter fan. And it's hard to have that conversation where someone's like, oh yeah, like you're a huge Harry Potter person. I'm like, well, yes, but also no. And it's hard to have that conversation in, in like two minutes time to be like, well, I now have very complicated feelings about this fandom. You mm -hmm. know, like with my parents, for example, I think they, it's not like a conversation that I've really sat down and had with them because it's, I think nothing that they'd be super interested in talking about. And yeah. it's not, so, you know, like they'll still make references to Harry Potter and like, you know, last year they gave me like a box of birdie bots every flipper beans for Christmas and that yeah. sort of thing. And so it's one of those, like, it's an awkward conversation to have to be like, well, I did love this thing and I still appreciate it for what it is, but also feel uncomfortable with some of what it is as well. Yeah. It's, it's interesting having that experience of when it's known about you that you like a thing and people kind of latch onto that. Yeah. Like I got a couple of Harry Potter themed shirts for Christmas from my dad and he still updates me about every time JK publishes um, one of those crime books that she's doing, the Richard Galbraith oh, yeah. ones. And he's read them. I haven't, but he has. And he was like, they're fine. Like they're nothing special. Um, it's mostly just the draw of like JK Rowling wrote them. And I, I don't think that he's aware really of all the like transphobic stuff that she's been saying and writing since it doesn't really register for him. And it's still like a thing that we related about a little bit like he read all of the books yeah. he and my mom read all of the harry potter books and 
um, I would kind of fight them for them because I'm a faster reader and I was very committed. So I would like sneak, yeah. I, I was like, I got to get this book before they start reading. Otherwise I'm never going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise you're doomed. Yeah, exactly. But I was like, I, I, I don't know how to have the conversation where I cannot enjoy this thing in the same way anymore. I can appreciate what people write about it. I enjoy meta discussions about it. Um, or people coming up with solutions to issues that were never addressed in the books around gender mm -hmm. sexuality or uh, previous languages or anything like that. Like that, that there's some great meta written about all of that stuff. People really delved into this world and got really excited about it and the magic there. And that's awesome. And what people got out of it is great, but also what was put into it was not awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like I also experienced a little bit of the, not quite the opposite of, you know, being seen as like the Harry Potter girl, but also like, I have another friend who we've had a lot of very like in-depth fandomy discussions about you know different media and you know like it's been a while and we haven't kept in like super close contact and so it gets to the point now where like most of the time the only time he ends up messaging me is when jk rowling has said you know like some turkey bullshit or like whenever there's some sort of like new issue within the harry potter community um and it usually ends up being like around like queer things mm. <laughs> so now it's like the only time that i hear from him is when like J.K. Rowling has done some transphobic or homophobic stuff, and I'm like, am I your only like queer Harry Potter friend? Like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, I I would like to have conversations about things that aren't just you know this author being a shitty person. Yeah, <laughs> or that yeah. are talking about things that aren't you know problematic or otherwise related to poor treatment of the queer community in media. Mm -hmm. That's a bummer to keep talking with somebody about that. Yeah, it's hard when you make friends in a fandom and it's all based around that fandom and you can't really mm -hmm. step out of it. it. I haven't had a ton of experience with that. Um, again, just because I don't interact with fandom community very much. I try to drag other people into experiencing a thing so I can talk about it with specific people. But it is hard when you're kind of pigeonholed uh, as like this person who likes this and you're just expected to always be down to talk about it or critique it or something. It's like, ugh, I don't know, I'm a little exhausted. Yeah, you're like, well, I've talked about this with many people now and I'm sort of done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I almost wish I could print off just like a little card where it just like has <laughs> a few bullet points about like, here are my opinions about this. Uh, I will update you if they change. <laughs> Otherwise, here's where I am. Like, that's yep. a, it's a fandom breakup letter right there where you're just like, I cannot enjoy this anymore because of this, this and this reason. Feel free to discuss anything else with me. That's, yeah, that's I, I like the idea of a fandom breakup letter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> write all of the things that you're like here's why you know like here are the things that i did enjoy about this but here's why i'm done with it and i'm ready to not talk about it anymore yeah i'm I'm curious when i'll reach that point with some of the fandoms i'm in right now because being um i would say on the edges looking in on a very active living breathing fandom right now is unusual for me and also pretty fascinating. Yeah, I got a bit of it with Good Omens, but I wasn't that deep in the um, online discussion around it, just because I don't think that there was a ton of like controversial takes about it. It's, I mean, it's a book that's been out since the 80s, and then it was made into a miniseries, and people had some critiques or discussion to have about that, but it wasn't, um, it didn't change a lot. I don't know. Like, yeah. Well, it's also not an ongoing thing either. It's not like new episodes are being produced that people can then theorize about either. It was a mini series and it all came out at once and there was a really big fan following, but then there's not a whole lot to sustain it after that. Where it's like, okay, the book has been published, the mini series has come out, there are several audio recordings, but that's yeah. where we're at. There's not 
any new comp uh and not any new content that's coming out anytime soon so. yeah neil gaiman is done and he's tired and he wants to write novels again like <laughs> yeah he gave up five years of his life to make this miniseries happen and it's really good and i probably will be re-watching it sometime soon uh because i want to and yeah. um that's about where it is but i am currently very immersed in magnus archives and the discussions that are happening around that are really interesting because it is a horror podcast that is a tragedy and people are creating a lot of like fluffy content around that and it's delicious and delightful and I love it but they're also <laughs> going to be really mad when characters die tragically or have some sort of really traumatic experience as they have already there's been a lot of trauma in that show and they're like but these queer people and I'm like yes but bad things can happen to queer people that are not because they are queer it is because this is a horror tragedy <laughs> It's hard when the fandom view of a thing is so different from the actual piece, like the dissonance of people wanting these relationships to work and be beautiful and comfortable and perfect versus the fact that this is heading in a specific direction that all of the creators have been very clear is going to be a bad end. And I, I want to be upfront about that if... Uh, for each person I get into this where I'm like, have you seen horror movies? Have you seen tragedies? Like we're heading down a bad road and I'm enjoying the ride because the writing is amazing and the crafting of this story is very well done, but there's stuff worth critiquing in there that goes beyond. I wish that these queer characters would have a nice life and it gets into some very complicated uh, interactions with race in the fandom and also with the creators uh, that go in a couple of different directions. And we can have a larger discussion about this at some point if you want to. I feel like I talk about Magnus Archives like way too much, but <laughs> I also have a lot to I feel say. I like it deserves an episode, yeah. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it at some point. Just like what's happened in canon that is uh, objectionable. And then some of the ways that fandom interactions have also contributed to some like weird discussion around race and gender and sexuality. So we don't have to get into that right now though, but I guess fandom breaking up for me also starts to happen when new content starts to decrease. Yeah, definitely. And you see that happen. It takes a while sometimes. Like I'm still following somebody who's creating new Good Omens content on a, a regular basis. Like I subscribe, subscribe oh, to their yeah. Patreon and see that come up but there starts to become a lag in like how much fic is updated or the discussions that are happening and it it just sort of peters off and stops coming across my dash yeah i mean that's yeah that's a huge part of being in fandom for me and like what i enjoy about fandom because i do really love seeing the stuff that people create and being able to interact with that and appreciate it and so like the less fandom content there is the less sustained my interest is going to be yeah um i mean that's to an extent what happened with the adventure zone mm -hmm. i came into it a little bit late to the game i came into it just as balance was finishing um and so naturally there was content everywhere because it was so just much. wrapping up it was super popular and then you know i think over time i still listened through amnesty and like all the experimental arcs but i think there was you know significantly less content for amnesty than there was for balance Mm -hmm. you know, even as amnesty was going on, I was still seeing a lot of balance content and not quite still like a good amount of amnesty, but not loads. But then by the end of amnesty, I think a lot of that had really sort of dried up. I wasn't seeing nearly so much house content just in general, but even for either arc. And I still like, I'll still see stuff come up on my dash. I still see like stuff, sometimes stuff for graduation, sometimes stuff for balance or amnesty and just the adventures in general, um, especially because I followed a couple of like Taz specific blogs um, yeah, that are still same. posting content oh that's nice mine oh, yeah. there's like incorrect taz quotes that i really liked but that has oh, that was died, really good basically. yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like there was a couple of fan artists and fic authors that i followed who had done a lot of taz stuff so mary wall herb gerblin and an anonymous alchemist um, oh yeah i followed all of them and they're all still I think Marywell and Anonymous Alchemist have been getting into other fandom stuff recently, um, but Herb Gilbert still posts a bunch of Taz art. I wonder 
a little bit why there was that loss there because i i've petered out too. amnesty i was a little in and out of like i kept up with it but i would zone out hard and there's still like plot arcs i do not remember at all um yeah whereas kaz i listened straight through twice and i came into it as suffering game was happening so i was like oh jesus <laughs> like this is intense <laughs> And I was having, I had a great time with that fandom. That was my introduction to animatics, uh, fan animatics, which I yeah. love. And I have a huge collection of so Taz good. ones on my blog. And I've seen them for other podcasts as well and enjoyed the hell out of them. It's a really great medium and I appreciated it so much. But I, I don't know why my interest just waned so much with that one. I wonder sometimes if it was because I got into different D&D podcasts through Taz. Yeah. Like Taz introduced me to podcasting in general and also D&D. And I've gotten more into D&D in general, like as apart from podcasting. And I'm running a campaign now and having a great time with that. But I couldn't say why I stopped listening to Taz as much. It's it's a little unfortunate. And I, I do miss that aspect of like being really excited for a particular day for an episode to drop and like listening to it really quickly yeah. and like texting you about it. And whichever <laughs> one of us listens to it first, the other one would get to text like all of our reactions. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I got to listen to it first very frequently because I was at the time for a while, like six hours ahead of you or no, yeah. it would have been nine hours ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And you were walking to work. So you had a long mm -hmm. stretch of time to listen to it. That might be it as well. Like having long stretches of time to consume. Oh, definitely. I mean, that was, a, I think, a very large part of why I got so into Taz in the first place. Because at the time where I started listening, I had just moved to another country, didn't know a lot of people. Um, was spending a lot of time walking and so had plenty of time to listen to podcasts and was spending a lot of time by myself. Mm -hmm. And I also just like had a lot of free time because when I first started listening, I was working like a couple days a week at an internship. And then I also was taking Arabic classes and that's it. So like I had plenty of time <laughs> to just do whatever I wanted. Yeah. And what I wanted to do was listen to Taz and then consume mm -hmm. more Taz content. Yes. I mean, I got into Taz because I was I was too sick to do anything else. For like a week, I was just really, really ill and I couldn't read because my eyes hurt and I couldn't sleep because I felt so bad. And so I would just listen to Taz in bed and the theme song still like gives me such a sense of peace. Oh yeah, it's so good. It's beautiful, yeah. The whole balance arc, the, the intro to that, I have as just like a regular song. And if I need to calm down, I try not to overuse it because they do lose their power after time for me, um, mm -hmm, but same. it, it'll calm me right down. It's really nice. Yeah. So it might be just like having the time and space and ability to listen to something that long for and consume it kind of um, in mass because I do have to pay a certain amount of attention to podcasts. Uh, I can't just mm -hmm. really put them on in the background unless I don't care what's going on in them. <laughs> yeah. Is, you know, not a great I don't really listen to any podcasts that I don't care about. <laughs> right, because then what's the point? Exactly. I think the only exception for me is Critical Role, just because they're oh, so yeah. goddamn long. Yeah. So that is something that I can put on in the background, and I can usually figure out, you know, if there's important character interactions going on, then I'll zone back in. But if there's just, like, combat where I'm like, well, I can just space out for, you know, an hour or so, and that's yes, fine. Yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> you're just going to be fighting for a while. Yeah, that Critical Role and NADPOD, I listen to not another D&D podcast as well now, and both of those, I'm like, the, the fights I can zone out for pretty hard. But Adventures yeah. on, I really wanted to be engaged for our, almost all of it. Crystal Kingdom mm -hmm. dragged. Uh, A little bit, yeah. There were some, yeah, there's some bits where I was like, okay, uh, I can zone out pretty hard for this, but, you know. And I think part of it was, it differs a little bit from other D&D podcasts too, where it's like, I think the fight scenes never dragged on for super long and there was always like this weird shit going on during them yes. where they would either make really good goofs or they would just pull the wildest stunts. And so it's not like more serious podcasts, I think, where it's like, okay, how can I strategize to make this more effective? It's more, it was more about you know, the goofing off and like the storytelling than it was about the actual mechanics of playing D&D. &D. 
Yes. Whereas I think with Critical Role, for example, it's a, it's both where it's like it's very much about the mechanics of D and D, where they are actively playing D and D, and they're not quite as like up in the air with the rules of Tazos, which I think I guess is part of what I loved about Balance so much, where it's like it was very I don't know, I guess the way that the story was built as opposed to like the way that Amnesty was, um, which is also maybe part of the reason why interest in general waned because Amnesty did take itself so much more seriously and there was a little bit less room for just goofing around and pulling wild stunts because it was based in reality. Mm-hmm. And so you couldn't just decide that you wanted to do, you know, decide that you wanted to throw yourself off of a train yeah. Uh, because the rules of physics actually applied a little bit in Amnesty. Yeah. I do want to say there's a Tumblr post that I love that compares the difference between Adventure Zone and Critical Role, where uh-huh. they have in the Adventure Zone, Travis says, I want to open this train side window and throw myself out of it, but use the momentum of the tunnel we're driving into to swing me into a different window, shattering it and giving me an attack of opportunity on the enemy. And Griffin says, okay, I guess roll to see if it works. <laughs> Whereas in Critical Role, you get a character that asks, hey, what time is it? And Matt says, roll a survival check. (laughs) (laughs) And that is the uh, strong difference between those two podcasts. And I'll just plug it here and say, not another D&D podcast splits those uprights of it will fuck with the rules if the DM thinks it would be fun and funny and cool for the player. But for the most part, you are having to roll to figure shit out. <laughs> I think that's a good happy medium. I mean, I both I adore both of these things. Too. Of these like, things I love Critical Role and I love Taz. They both have very good things going for them. But yeah. as examples for like a and d campaign, neither yeah. one of them are very good <laughs> if you want to create your own. They're that both true. very bad examples. Yes. The time I tried to run a D&D campaign with basically no prep um, didn't go well because I was basing it off of the Adventure Zone. And mm-hmm. I needed to do a little bit more work on that one. Uh, <laughs> it basically turned into mm-hmm. a big improv sesh, which is fun as well. And I didn't mind, but it was definitely not what D&D some people signed up for. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think when I first tried to do a campaign, I struggled because I kept comparing myself to these two especially yes. Critical Role because that's what I was listening to when I was you know I had finished Taz at the point you know I was mostly just like reading fake and so I was listening to Critical Role and I was like oh I have to know everything about everything I have to be like amazing and it was you know not a great time I wouldn't recommend doing that yeah it's it's not great to base your work off of other people's uh, examples nope it's- I feel like that needs to be like one of the the more you know moments. Yeah, yeah here we go. I'll, I'll we've learned. <laughs> it's useful to get ideas. It's really fun to see how to create some good moments, I guess. But it's also like you and your players are different people. They trust you to a certain degree and you'll figure that out as you go. So it, I, I am, I'm grateful for Taz and Critical Role for pushing me into D&D and playing that but it's also like these are not good examples to go for. Here's, here's what we've learned from these two podcasts about playing D&D specifically which is not the topic we were going to talk about today <laughs> but it's what we're talking about now. It is yeah and I guess breaking up a bit with Taz has just been because I have other D&D podcasts to listen to and it just really lost me in some very specific ways that I don't really want to get into. Cause like it's, it's critical of Travis and it seems mean because yeah. I'm like, I, I think he's improving. Like people are getting really excited online because like, obviously people who are into Magnus archives are also into D and D podcasts too, I guess. And so they'll be writing about stuff that's happening in here and they're really excited about that. And so I think it's still like a good campaign that people are invested in. I'm just personally not in that right now. And maybe I will be later. I still hold out hope for someday road tripping it and listening yeah. to a whole bunch of episodes. But I do need that huge uninterrupted time to get excited about a podcast again. And I have not had that. I can only really participate in something that I've already joined or that is not extensively long. Yeah, I'm at the same point, especially because you know, previously I would really only listen to podcasts when I was commuting. Mm. 
-hmm. which was fine because I would usually have like a fairly decent commute every day, sometimes multiple times a day where I would be going you know, like to work in the morning and then to work in the afternoon and then to class and then home. Yeah. You're a busy bee. Yeah, but so, you know, I had plenty of time to listen to the various podcasts that I had subscribed to. And so even if I wasn't super into, you know, like, especially with graduation, you know, I wasn't super, super into it at the beginning, but I had the time, so I listened to it. Um, whereas now I'm like, well, the only commute time that I have is when I make commute time. Yeah. <laughs> or when I, you know, like force myself to like get out and about and walk around. Um, and it has been some motivation to get out and go for a walk. Cause I'm like, okay, you know, like, but I can listen to this podcast while I'm doing it. And like, I'll set myself, you know, okay, I'll walk for at least two episodes or at least three episodes mm -hmm. and sort of set myself time by that. But I don't have that regular time built in yeah. to sit and listen to something. I'm trying to get a little bit better about it, like listening while I'm playing video games or something. Yeah. <laughs> but I also feel rude, like sitting in the living room with my headphones in while my roommates are out and about. So mm -hmm. there's also that step to na navigate as well. Yeah. One of my roommates listens to Critical Role, so she'll sometimes just be the one with the headphones in listening, uh, making dinner or whatever. And I'm like, this is fair. I I tend to base my weeks at this point around like two release dates and it's my brother, my brother and me on Monday, but sometimes it's Tuesday and I'm like, oh, you threw off my whole groove, <laughs> goddammit. And then Magnus Archives on Thursday. And it was kind of nice to have that like timekeeping aspect of podcasts and release dates. I think that would be prevalent too if I was uh, watching Great British Bake Off right now because they're releasing an episode at a time. I have to hold off and watch with my mom though, so I can't. <laughs> this is gonna be my Friday night staple. Like, if, unless yeah. I have something else going on, like Friday nights, my roommates and I are sitting down watching Bake Off. It's really nice to have that structured time. I, I deeply enjoy having scheduled, regular plans. I had quite a few of them actually at the beginning of quarantine. Like my Monday nights were a writing sharing time with me, my roommate Anana and my friend Kate. And then it turned into me just reading KJ Charles out loud uh, over <laughs> Discord, which was a lot of fun. And then, yeah, Friday nights, I run a Zoom happy hour call. But yeah, I, I want to get back into some of that though, with like having regular time scheduled with people and it's, it's a nice feeling. I, I've, my schedule's just fallen apart. Like I don't have walks built into my work day anymore and I need to, I need to get back on that. <laughs> Same. I feel like, yeah, I was very on top of things, especially at the beginning of quarantine, I think because there was still more going on. So it's like, you know, we would usually we would have walks scheduled in where my roommate and I would go for walks. And then like I had various friends where we would schedule game nights over the weekends or, you know, like I had chats with my family, that kind of thing. Um, and I also still was taking classes and had assignments that were due on particular days and was still working and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, but then over the summer, you know, I graduated, so I didn't have class anymore. And like most of the scheduled stuff that I had had sort of petered out at that point because, you know, like as things ramped up with like finals and like I couldn't do quite so many game nights and that sort of thing and then I think I was <laughs> often the one who was instigating all the game nights and so when yeah. I stopped doing that they just sort of stopped happening yeah. yeah I think also that most of the folks that I was playing with I now see through other things so like you know you and I will watch things or do this podcast yeah one of my friends is now my roommate again so like I mm -hmm. get to see her all the time so I think you know most of the folks that I was playing with I now still get to see but through things other than game nights yeah it's a weird balance I mean this feels kind of like to slide us back onto topic a bit like this feels a bit like when you make friends in a fandom and then start hopping fandoms together where it's like you make friends because of one particular area of your life. And then it's like, Oh wait, we can expand this because we're both people who are rich with many <laughs> interests. And it's, it's nice to have that happen. And it's kind of fun to be the person who drags people into that. So like I try to be a person who drags people into fandoms I like, and then I also was the person who dragged a bunch of people into playing D&D &D. and they play without me now and have their own games running and all of that. But I, I still get that like little warm fuzzy feeling of like, Ooh, I made you, I started this. <laughs> yeah. I try to be that, but I feel like I'm not very good at it. 
So it's gotten to the point where like, I've gotten loads of people into D&D now, but the problem is that most of them still depend on me. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. so I have all, and so now if I'm doing like a one shot, I have like this very long list of people and I have to figure out who I'm going to invite and who I you know, can or can't invite this time. Or like the people where it's like, okay, I have to you know, invite this person or they're going to be upset. You know, so, and so, forth. so I now have all of this to juggle. True. <laughs> it's like I've gotten everyone into it, but they haven't quite taken off to doing it independently yet <laughs> yeah it is a it's a hard jump to make to dming um oh definitely i like it actually a fair amount but it is stressful and uh part of that is because i have players who are friends and are really excited for me to dm and so they're like are you prepped are you ready and i'm like please stop asking me <laughs> you will get what you get <laughs> 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 that's just me having to be less sensitive about like is, is anyone gonna like this it's like you're you're gonna get what you're gonna get <laughs> like D D, <laughs> you like approaching it like D, you want to kiss an orc you make me the dm <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it's tricky too because like i got a bunch of friends involved but it's also hard to find other people to play with if you don't if you're not already i guess involved in that community yeah it's like you know i moved to new york and i joined a D&D club at my school, which is how I met other people who were DMs. And so it was very easy for me to like find other groups to jump into. Or like if I didn't know of any groups, I could message somebody and be like, hey, are you looking for a new player? Or do you know anyone who's looking for another player? And so I think once you find that community to get involved in, then you're golden. But if you only know like one or two other people, or if you're all in the same group and you don't know anyone outside of that group, then it is harder to find ways to get involved yeah. or if you don't know how to go looking for it yeah i know how to find groups because i looked very hard into it because it was something that was important to me so i was like okay where are like local groups that i can play with you know is there something at the school is there something at a local game shop that i could join you know people that i can meet where i don't have to be the DM. Mm -hmm. and so you know i got that because i joined that club and like i also got like you know i managed to drag a couple other people into the club but like for others, it just the timing didn't work out or something. And I think if you don't have that sort of group to join, then it is hard to find ways to get started if you're not willing to DM. I think D&D too is especially hard for me personally to feel like I can break into new groups in because um, it's kind of the same fear of like meeting new people where it's like, I am the flavor of me. And especially with D&D where it's like the characters I create are gonna be kind of weird and not very good. And I roll like shit and I know most of the rules, but not all of them. And I'm mostly in this to have some fun with accents and play around with the plot and learn about the world. And I get really excited. Um, I have a really good time with D&D. I laugh a lot, like there's a lot of jokes, but I'm not really there to fight things. I will, but it's not my favorite. And rolling checks is stressful. So I try to avoid it whenever possible. And it's fun to think creatively about this kind of stuff, but that also can be hard if the DM has a very specific vision of how they want the, a thing to go. And then you jump in and you're like, can I talk to this person and like try to seduce them and see if I can get some more information. And it's like, oh shit, like, okay, like, I guess, uh, didn't expect that. So coming into new groups, it's like how, how queer and how monstrous am I allowed to be in this mm -hmm. campaign? Can I be a big gay furbolg? I don't know. Is anyone going to give me shit for that? If I'm a gender fluid Eladrin, like what happens? Yeah. Like, like, there's some, again, some posts on Tumblr where it's like, I didn't spend 20 years of my life pretending to be straight to do it in a fantasy setting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm never going to play a human. I'm never going to play a female human, especially. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get wild with this. You're like, I could just do so many other things. Why would I play the same thing that I currently like? Yeah. Exactly. Yep. But people give you shit for that if they're, I, I'm worried people would give me shit for that in a D&D group. That's fair. I think I've been super lucky with that in that most of the groups that I have played with have been pretty queer friendly mm -hmm. or like majority very queer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that has been really nice. I haven't really had that many bad experiences because like the group that I first DM'd most of like I was significantly younger than most of them. I want to say there was probably 
at minimum like a seven to 10 year age gap between most of them. There was like a 20 to 30 year age gap between some of them. Um, okay. And so, and it was like a very, very straight group, um, which again, like was fine, but like I would make, you know, I was definitely like all of the NPCs are gay, all of them, you know, like there's very several non-binary characters, that sort of thing. And definitely not everybody really picked up on it or like understood. So it wasn't that they were resistant to anything necessarily, but definitely didn't get it all the time, which was like a little bit weird for me because I was like, I just want this game to like be super queer all the time because that is what makes me happy. Yeah. And so like I wasn't super bothered that nobody really, I guess, delved into that space, but it was also a little bit weird for me because I was like, but you can. Yeah. <laughs> so it is fun playing with other queer folks who do just like go, go right in for it. So I don't know. That sounds nice. I mean, I've played, I play with two groups that are very separate. The one that I previously DM'd that I went in with zero prep on um, was very queer and they were very down to like hook up with any NPCs or like to flirt with them or see what was going on there. And that was really fun to get to play that out. And then the other group that I play with is very like heterosexual and um, I'm DMing Strahd there and they're aware, like every character I've made has been pretty gay, some flavor thereof. And I had a lot, I have a lot of fun with that, but they're very like isolated in that because everyone else's character is either like, we don't, we don't know, or um, they're just not exploring that or I don't know. It's, like relationship stuff is very interesting for me to explore in a D and D setting. And I can get why people would be uncomfortable with that. Um, it is playing pretend with your friends that you're going to try to date them. And like, if they're not comfortable with that, that's totally fine as well. But it's, it's a little bit of a bummer when it's like, can I like romance an NPC or is that weird because you, the DM are uncomfortable with that. There's some good conversations to be had around consent in D&D on session zero, where it's like, what kind of session are we running here? Are you able to hit on NPCs or would you rather we avoid that entirely? I actually sent out, I found like a consent RPG checklist, which I think I may have sent to you. You did, yeah. Um, Yeah, and so I made a like a Google form, like questionnaire kind of thing, where I took that and like, modified it to an extent where I made some of the questions or some of the categories a little bit more relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like I had people kind of decide, you know, is this like, you know, okay, you know, green was like, go for it totally in for this. Yellow was like, maybe, but like, I would want to talk about it or like, it would have to be like veiled or off screen. And then like red was like, absolutely not like, don't want this, like would not be comfortable with this in a session. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, I had all of my players fill it out you know, like anonymously, but like with the option of like, if they wanted me to follow up on anything, they could put their name um, and let me know what to follow up with, um, which worked out really well, actually, because like, you know, I had to, I ended up putting all of the information into like a Google sheet. And so I had like the players kind of like all consolidated into one where I was like, okay, like if one person says that this is either like yellow or red, like that's automatically what it is for everyone. Um, so mm-hmm. if one person is, you know, hardline, not okay with any of this, then we're not going to do it. Um, and then I had a separate column for me as a DM where I got to say like, okay, here are the things that I as a DM am comfortable having in game or like, here are the things that I would prefer that you guys not do that sort of thing, which I found really helpful because like there have been situations where I've been DMing um, and someone's like brought stuff up that I wasn't super comfortable DMing. Mm-hmm. And so it was nice kind of like having that out of the way being like, all right, like you know, I don't really want to role play you going into a brothel and selecting who you want to have sex with like that's not something I'm interested in DMing. <laughs> please don't yeah. make me do that mm-hmm. but yeah so I'm very much yeah I'm very much in favor of like doing consent stuff in D&D because I think it makes sure that everybody is on the same page and that people aren't comfortable during sessions because the whole point is to have fun and have a good time and that kind of sucks when you're in a position where you're like well I'm not comfortable with this but we're here now so I guess I just have to deal with it yeah this is a good little primer for, we're getting out a lot of D&D tips actually in this episode, unexpected. I was like, maybe we should just change this one to a D&D episode. <laughs> yeah, this is now a D&D episode. <laughs> I don't want to go back over the fandom breaking up thing anyway. So um, mm-hmm. that's just a bummer. We could talk about D&D though. Uh, 
yeah, I, I think it isn't talked about enough how to start a campaign as a DM. I think they have something in the uh, the DM guide uh, that Wizards of the Coast puts out, but there's, I think, some more interesting conversations to be had around what to start out a campaign with. Probably the first discussion to have is what kind of campaign are we doing? Are we doing a dungeon crawl? Are we doing a lot of role play? Or do you guys just want to fight stuff and get treasure? Um, that can come up with character backstories and everything, but it's really good to set expectations of like, I'm the DM and I don't want to run a lot of fights. Those are boring for me. So if you don't want to be in this campaign because of that, you don't have to. <laughs> and it's like, if you're a player and you want to have a role play heavy session, then absolutely. But if you're a player and you're really new and uncomfortable and you don't want to do an accent and you're so scared of doing the voice, it's like, yeah, you maybe just want to say, I'm going to hit it. It's a, it's a good conversation to have. And it's good to set those expectations of like, you guys are at a high enough level that I am going to actively try to kill you versus you guys are at a pretty high level. So you get to do a bunch of cool stuff and I am not interested in trying to kill you because some people really like the struggle. Like, I feel like it gets into what your background is in terms of gameplay, where if it's like, if you have a really video game heavy background, you want to fight a bunch of stuff and test your stats and explore that area. But if like me, you grew up with a lot of Terry Pratchett, you want to talk to the goblins and figure out what their big deal is. Because there's surely no way that an entire race could be warlike and violent and greedy and mean without some sort of background to that. Yeah, I mean, there's so much that you can explore with that. I get like, I'm a bit in the middle where like, I don't want it to be entirely combat, but I do enjoy having, like, I enjoy being able to roll dice and being able to just like, I don't know, dick around and have fun with dumb checks and stuff or, mm-hmm. you know, doing some sort of combat thing and figuring out like what I can use, you know, my spells for that sort of thing, or like being able to give like a cool description of what I've done. There have been times, like for example, in the campaign that I played last, like this past year, because it was also Strahd and I could tell where it's like, well, there's only really going to be one outcome here where it's like this book isn't planned for a lot of expensive role play in like certain sections where it's like, well, like we know, that this one character is going to be evil and is going to kind of fuck us over no matter what. So like sitting and talking with them for two hours is only going to get us so far. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think like there would be some times where like I would get kind of frustrated because I'm like, well, I'm like, we know what's going to happen here anyway. We know that we still have to fight them. So like, this is, it feels like we're talking in circles. Let's just go. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I like having like a good mix where it's like, I enjoy doing role play stuff, but there are also times where I'm like, I just want to hit something. (laughs) Just yeah. let me roll and be excited about getting a good roll. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's good balances to be struck there, I think, yeah. in any campaign. Or some of my favorite moments have come from just like the really high stress that you get when you're in a really tense combat situation. Because mm. like I think the most fun goofs that I've had have been like when you're rolling skill checks and like doing role play stuff. But I think the times that I tend to remember most are times where like somebody came really really close to dying or like where you had an objective and you have to kind of figure out how to solve that like there was one time where I was playing in a campaign where we had um it was like an arena battle and it was like a competition so you knew that you weren't going to die but there were like really high stakes or like if we did win then we would get something really good out of it and so um yeah, like those moments are the ones that tend to stick out most in my memory where it's like, oh no, like we just scraped our way out of this. Like, how did we do that? Like, those are the <laughs> ones where I'm like, oh yeah, like these are good moments. Yeah. So I enjoy being able to play those and I hope that I'll be able to create moments like that as well. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun thing to think about, you know, just building a story with other people is such a fun process and the structure of D&D is super helpful for that. Mm-hmm. But it's also an opportunity to kind of fuck with that structure as well. I think you shouldn't be super bound to specific ways of doing things in D&D. I think there's a lot oh, of absolutely creativity. not. Yeah. And I guess we ha- I have the Adventure Zone to thank for that, where it was like, you know, that sounds cool enough. Let's see if you can do it. Um, yeah, there's a good a good balance there. 
in the balance arc of Taz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess like going back to the conversation we were having earlier about critical role versus Taz. And I think, yeah, I think I got the sure, fuck it, let's go for it <laughs> attitude from Taz. Where I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? Yep. And then I think I got more of the world building stuff from critical role because Taz is very like the entire world. It's like, well, very unclear. There's like a couple of key elements, but the actual like way that things work and the structure of things is very uncertain, which is yeah. fine. Like it didn't need that. Um, whereas with Critical Role, you have this very extensive world building, which is also very cool and fun to play with as an idea. It's not something I'd be able to really do in the same amount of depth, but it's still, I don't know, I enjoy playing in that space. I think it's interesting to compare world building across the various campaigns that I've listened to in podcast form. And now I've read and participated in a couple that were created by Wizards of the Coast where I'm running Strahd and I've played uh, Waterdeep. And the world building that went into that and the priorities there, that's another thing to discuss with players because I personally Mm -hmm. hate a political campaign. I don't want to deal with that. I think it's really, really fun learning about a place though. Like I will ask a lot of questions about why something works a certain way or what the history of a place is, or if there's a particular significance to a artifact. Um, That's really fun for me. I don't want to learn about the political histories and negotiate that. And so that's been hard and critical role when you run into the political campaigning that happens there and they have to participate in some diplomatic missions. And I'm like, I don't care. I do want to learn more about these like old ancient dead gods that you keep talking about though. Like I'm very curious. And so it can be hard to be in a campaign where it's asking you to delve into some aspect of a world that you don't care about. And you really want to learn about another piece of the world, but they're just not giving it to you. And I'm negotiating that with Strahd now where I accidentally hyped up a place in the map that I hadn't done a lot of work into. Yeah. And like, I'd read the, I'd read the piece. I knew what it was, but running that cold improv with characters who were very curious was hard because I was like, I don't know how much I can give away in role play form at this time. And if you start attacking things, I'm in big trouble. (laughs) That's exactly where I'm at too, where it's like, but I'm leading a salt marsh campaign, which is, it's very sandboxy, it's very open. Mm-hmm. And so there's also a lot of potential for dropping hints and that sort of thing where it's like, there's like a long plot that I have in mind. Um, and so I have to keep in mind, you know, what characters need to know now, what they need to not know until the future you know, what they need to kind of like get hints for that might be coming up in the future. But if I give too many hints now, then they might, you know, skip over into something or they might, I don't know, jump into some, I don't know. Yeah. I guess just trying to keep track of everything that the players need to know. But I also, there's, there is a very long history to the area that you can play with. And so I've sort of given all of my characters different hints and different things that they know about the area but now I also need to know stuff about it (laughs) which I don't really have prepared yet or like I know that there's a really long history and there's a lot of potential for engaging with that but it's just stuff that I don't have ready to go so if they were to ask me anything about it I would just have to make it up because I don't know (laughs) yeah or like where there's like you know rumors about a particular place or a particular story and I have to remember what's the rumor and what's real versus not real so that I don't accidentally tell the wrong one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you were running a really rumor heavy campaign. I really liked that idea. I thought that was such a cool concept and like the secrets that you're having your players come up with. It was a really good idea. I hope I can pull it off. We'll see. Yeah, I basically was like, you guys are gonna hunt some werewolves and you meet on the edge of the forest to hunt werewolves. Enjoy. (laughs) I mean, I think there's something to be said for that too though just being able to jump into things i don't know starting the campaign is sometimes pretty hard it it doesn't have to be perfect so i mean part of the player's job is to buy into what the dm is telling you and sometimes it's really hard when people don't realize that that's their job um and they're like the dm is my enemy i have to question them and ask all these and it's like no 
sometimes we just have to move on. Sometimes yeah. we just have to get you into Strahd's domain so you can play around in there because I have nothing for you in this other village. It doesn't matter what the name is. I don't care. Is it in Faerun? I don't care. <laughs> You're going to Strahd's place. <laughs> that place is dead to you now. You can't go back. <laughs> I feel like when you're going into something like Strahd too, like you have to know where it's like, you know exactly what the end goal is. You know where you're going with this campaign. Like as a player, this shouldn't be a surprise to you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get into metagaming at that point and my players are a little bit grumpy at me because I still haven't said that Strahd is a vampire. Uh, I'm just like, <laughs> he's undead. Like that's the most that I've given them. And I'm not ashamed of that. Like no, the characters who are talking about this are just are kind of cagey and they're not going to tell you everything yet. You have to like get to know them a little bit. Gotta better. earn their trust. Yes, exactly. We'll get to that point. But they all know that he's a vampire because everyone knows Strahd's a vampire. So of course. <laughs> they're just operating under like they're like, he's just immortal and a very powerful undead person. Don't know why. Huh. Who <laughs> who know? Unclear. Unclear. May never know. Yeah. That's kind of fun to keep up with. Yeah, I like that a lot, actually. I might play with that idea. I'm just like, <laughs> you as players know very well what this is, but your character has no idea. Yeah, that is a fun one. It's a little frustrating when, when a player knows, you know, like all the stats of an ooze or a dragon or whatever. And like, God, it pisses me off. I'm like, Shh, not everybody needs to know that they have blind sight or whatever. I'm like, Shh. Mm -hmm. There was a good moment like that in my last session where you know, I introduced a will the wisp yeah. And I think one of my players like definitely knew what it was, but she did a really great job of like her character wouldn't have known. There's no reason why her character would have known. And so she played it really, really well, where it's like she did what her character would have done. And like there was another character who, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, you know, like you see this weird floating light and it starts to go down this really deep crevice. <laughs> and there was another player who was just like, I follow it. I'm going to follow this light wherever it goes. Nice. I'm curious and I want to follow it. Um, <laughs> it's like this other player, like she knew exactly what this was, but she was like, well, my character would have no reason to stop her. So she'll go too. <laughs> yeah. But also like happened to have detect magic up. And so like the, it ended up working out in the end where like they did not die, which was very good because I was like, you guys are level one and you can't fight a will of the wisp yet. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It was like, it was a good moment. And I was like, I hope that, we can take because I think most of my players are pretty new and don't necessarily know what all of these monsters are, um, yeah. which is kind of fun and exciting for me because I'm like, you know, again, with one exception, most of them have only ever played a couple of one shots. So I'm like, you don't know what all of these are. You don't know any of these stats. This is going to be a whole new experience that I'm yeah. kind of fun to play with. That is awesome. I always run into issues with resistances and stuff. Like I, I straight up just like didn't use them for one uh, fight that I had them do. Um, I fucked that fight up pretty bad actually, but I, I was just like, I don't feel like saying that these things are immune to piercing damage. Like that's boring. I want you to kill these things kind of fast. I don't care. So kind of just giving that space for you as the DM yeah. to be like, this is boring. I don't want to track this. Like, fuck it. You can kill yep. it faster. It's like, uh, yeah. Uh, there have been times where I'm straight up like, as my players have been fighting, I'll be like, well, I'm kind of done with this. And I'll like, you know, either decrease the number of HP or like sometimes I'll increase it where I'm like, oh, I was expecting this fight to be a little bit more difficult, but you've almost taken out this monster in a single round. Time to just, you know, add an extra 20 HP. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I've definitely fudged with that, a lot of stuff like that. Or like, you know, if there's something that needs to recharge, but I think it would be more exciting if they didn't have to recharge. So I'll just be like, well, you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's my one fear is because I, I do have three DMs in my party and I'm like, you're just going to have to deal with the fact that I'm going to lie and change things. Yeah. Like this is going to be different. Yeah. My werewolves work differently. Their AC is higher <laughs> and they are not immune to anything, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Seems like a good way of doing it. Yeah. Well, we've got some good tips for DMs out there out of this episode. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, enjoy. <laughs> Please start some campaigns with your friends. And uh, Discord's a great resource. Roll20 is an okay resource that is really hard for me personally to navigate, but uh, still pretty fun to play with. Yeah, I enjoy Roll20. I have a whole bunch of D&D resources. I actually created a D&D lib guide, oh, which I do need to go back and update. Yes. So I can link that in our author notes. Yes, please do. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
everyone I would say what it is but I don't remember the URL that's okay everyone please just play D&D or give it a little try it's a lot of fun and um it's a great way to connect with your friends and uh, build some silly stories together but thank you for listening to this fandom podcast that turned into a D&D podcast really quickly there uh <laughs> We uh, appreciate you so much. If you'd like to reach out to chat with us, we are at um, tforswears.pod at gmail.com is our email. And we are on Tumblr at tag tforswears at tumblr.com. Send us your D&D ideas. Yeah. Send it. Oh, man. Tell us about your campaign. Yes. Tell us about your characters. We have uh, a side blog too that was uh, shit my housemates say <laughs> but that was when we were all living together and then it turned into our D D quotes section so if you want to check that out too <laughs> i'm really proud of the shit we've said a lot of it is me being so absolutely good. disgusting it's really fun <laughs> Uh, I think that one's uh, for girls talking .com. Yes. We'll link it in the notes as well. Uh, if you think other people would enjoy us just rambling about random shit, you never know what you're going to get. Please uh, <laughs> recommend our podcast to your friends. Like us, give us a review, rate us, all of that fun stuff. We super appreciate that. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for listening. See you later, alligator. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think that's my best sign up yet. <laughs> <laughs>